You're listening to Toronto's number one real estate podcast, powered by Watson Estates. The most successful local real estate investing starts right here, right now. Here's your host, broker, investor, and social media influencer, Bradley Watson. Good morning, investors. Bradley here from Watson Estates, and you're listening to the largest, fastest growing podcast for Toronto real estate on iTunes, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. Well, we like to talk about a Toronto real estate bubble, but maybe the bubbles in the profession itself with there being one realtor for every two homes sold. That's right. Can you believe it? My goodness. We're going to talk about today, the general market, what's been going on dealing with supply and demand pressures that we face, as well as a new proposed tax facing those who have a property, including a primary residence over a million dollars, obviously directly, directly focused at the Toronto and Vancouver real estate housing markets, including the GTA These are the things we're going to discuss today. And what qualifies you, Bradley, to talk about these things? Well, I'm an investor, but I'm also a realtor, just like everybody else. (laughs) At least everybody else in Toronto these days. If you could, before we jump into the content today, I would encourage you guys to please like this episode. Please subscribe to our show and leave a comment. We're gonna have some questions along the way. I love to get feedback because we're talking to people who are in often... Uh, positions to make decisions in our market. And I want to be able to relay that information. A lot of them listen to our show. So who knows, you might end up having something said on the show that could impact policymakers and decision makers in our communities. But also we've released a coaching program. If you're looking to scale your investment portfolio to the next level, you want to create a business that looks very much like some of the guests we've had on our show in the past. You can do that. You can find our link in the bio, whether you're following us on YouTube or podcast, wherever it's called the 90 day landlord, hoping to get you guys fully equipped to buy, maybe joint venture, do multiple properties and grow your portfolio in the next 90 days. We're excited to launch that. And there's an opportunity for you to get at a discount right now with it being the beginning of 2022. But as we kind of round into what comes next, one of the big things I'm looking forward to is tomorrow I'm getting my booster shot. Let's go. Been waiting in line for a while. I just hope they stick it in my arm this time. Last time they stuck it in my leg. (laughs) I spent the next day thinking, my thighs are killing me. (laughs) All right, enough, enough small talk. Let's go. We're going to talk big numbers. We're going to, and the big number today we're going to start off with is the number of realtors under the Toronto Real Estate Board, Toronto Regional Real Estate Board, as it's called. Betterdwelling.com starts with an article called The Toronto Real Estate Bubble Now Has One in 59 Workers Selling Homes. Here we go. The Canadian real estate boom has produced a gold rush, and now everyone is trying to sell you a home. It's a countrywide phenomenon as people see a low barrier to entry and large commissions. Not even global real estate hubs like New York City and LA come close to the concentration of realtors in Toronto. The Toronto Real Estate Board has reported 62,867 members in 2021, which is up 10% from the year before. This works out to roughly 5,877 new members over a one-year period. 5,800 new realtors, just under 5,900 new realtors in the last year alone. So what I like about this article, they have different images. They paint these different images of just how serious this is. How many are there? Put into perspective for you. And the first one is roughly one in 59 workers in Toronto are realtors. Listen to this. In 2021, about one in 59 members of the greater Toronto's labor force were members of TREB. This is up from one in 70 back in 2017. One of the things that come to mind is, well, not every realtor practicing in Toronto is a TREB member. 
I mean, when I got my start, I was trading mostly in the Brampton area. We were with the Brampton Real Estate Board. Looks very much the same and you wouldn't know, but we weren't even members of TREB. We're with TREB now, but there's also think of like Mississauga Real Estate Board. There are other surrounding real estate boards that look and act a lot like TREB, but they're not TREB. And this is ignoring all of those members. So all of that considered, they have another image. Image number two versus teachers. The local school board employs one teacher for every 226 people in the region's labor force. You're almost four times as likely to meet a realtor than a public school teacher in Toronto. Here's another perspective. Toronto has one realtor for every two homes sold. The ratio of realtors to home sales is roughly one to 1.8. And if December sales are mind blowing, it might get to one in two at best. But this year was also an exceptional year with next year expected to see fewer sales. And we've already seen a lowering of the number of sales, number of transactions. You're gonna get a real estate license. And if averages teach us anything, you'll be lucky to sell two homes this year. Most deals are also done by a relatively small group of elite Realtors, if you thought buying a home was competitive, wait until you see how hard it is to find and sell a home. The real estate industry is not, it's sometimes glamorized for high prices. Oh, things must be going well. But we look at the numbers. It's not going well for everyone, only for some. So they break it down. You can look, Toronto is, as mentioned, one in 59. But the next best looks like Vancouver, well over 100, one to 100 of its workforce, followed by Canada at whole, New York City, Montreal, and Los Angeles, like LA has over 250 to one realtors. So Toronto is just on a whole other level. And so this poses, the article says, risks to our market. The first one being an inefficient market, right? Whenever there's a gold rush, an economy sees a disproportionate share of people chase it. Just like a real gold rush, only a tiny share of people ever make a fortune. But the rest... The excess labor attracted to real estate is also diverted from other areas of the economy as well. They could have been teaching. They could have been a nurse or something that we could have used. This produces a labor squeeze in those areas, increasing costs for certain segments. So inefficient labor squeezes are often inflationary, driving the cost and of goods higher. Part of the issue maybe we're facing right now, society gets less than optimum tax revenue because they're not doing a lot of business and inflation to boot. <laughs> Number two, another reason why this poses a risk is it's an indicator potentially of a correction in our market. So they found, they being the US Federal Reserve economists and CUNY prof called, so this paper is called the heterogeneous real estate agents and the housing cycle. Sounds legit. <laughs> They found a sharp increase in real estate agents is typical of a cyclical peak of a market, also known as a bubble, a bubble phase. Strong perceived incentives attract a rush of new inexperienced agents. These agents amplify a correction by doing what is really risk number three, which is lowering the liquidity of your home. See, liquidity is the reason defaults don't make a sharp increase. So if we have ourselves a problem, in other words, you sell your house, the faster you get your house sold, the faster you get over the problem, and we don't have to face defaults, people unable to make mortgage payments. It sounds like a great thing. Well, the researchers found new agents tend to take longer to sell and make less profit. This reduces liquidity and amplifies the downturn. An inefficient or inexperienced realtor will cause more headache when the market does spiral down. So in short, vet your agent right? Or to be really secure, get blessed with the real estate holy water yourself. <laughs> Just don't inject that stuff. You should never take the Lord's name in vain. <laughs> 
But to be clear, this show and myself included are not pro-realtor in the pro-realtor sense. This show is pro-investor. We're talking to the investors. That's the magic. Investing in real estate is way better than selling a grand total of two houses per year. But yeah, we do have real estate professionals and brokers following our show all the time. Welcome. Welcome. (laughs) Friends and family, come on in. But that means, so now with all of these things in mind, the obsession with real estate, maybe there's an opportunity to tax. Another tax on top of what we already have aimed specifically at those who have properties over a million dollars. They're just rich, whatever. These snobby Torontonians. Before we discuss the details on that, let's look at the market together, starting with demand, where investor dollars continue to pour in. An article from Better Dwelling says this, Canadian real estate might have a lot more foreign ownership than previously thought. The big difference here is many people have looked at whether there is non-resident ownership, but there's this kind of other category of non-resident participation in ownership, meaning they own a portion of the property. When we take those numbers into consideration, we find foreign buyers actually own one in 10 recently built condos in Canada and one in 20 homes in total. Very interesting stats. Ontario still has it when it comes to attracting foreign ownership. Non-resident participation in the ownership of 3.4% of the province's homes in 2020 is up from 3.3%. So it's growing from the year prior. When the isol- when you isolate homes built after 2016, newer construction, the share jumps to 5.6% for 2020, up from 4.9 in the preceding year. Condo apartments have kind of this, they have this unique love, this, this space, this heart for condo apartments in particular, where non-residents had a stake of 6.5% of Ontario's condos in 2020, which is up from 6.2% a year before, and it soars to 9.2% for condos built after 2016, rising from 8.3 the year before. So one in 10 are owned by, in at least in some capacity, by foreign ownership. Now let's see if things change when we get a non-resident tax across Ontario, which is already being discussed at the provincial level and at the federal level. So it's coming soon to a city near you, assuming you're outside the GTA, in which case you already have it. But the point is this, if you're scared of the Toronto real estate market, you're not on the same page as global investors. There's a lot that look forward to being here. International investors are seeing the pandemic as an amazing opportunity to invest in Canada. And I can see families being so in love with this idea, naming their beautiful daughters vaccine. Oh, nice ring to it. It's this, it's amazing. It's such an amazing time to be an investor, right? Name your kid vaccine, which is great until you got nieces and nephews and then you now you're an anti-vax. <laughs> uh, but one reason investors like Toronto is the low building costs. So we're going to start here. Canadian real estate construction costs are amongst North America's lowest. According to RLB, a global consultancy for builders released in the annual North American Construction Guide for 2022, that Canadian real estate is amongst the most expensive in the world, but it's not due to materials or labor. Because unexpectedly, Toronto is amongst the cheapest major markets to build a home, believe it or not. So if we this all this call for supply is easy, right? It's easy. It's low cost to build in Toronto. Unlike anywhere else in North America, Toronto's annual growth, as far as the fastest rising building costs in the, in North America is 13.25. So we're at the low end, but we also see a massive increase in that price point. And Calgary takes the second spot. 
when we look at condos, listen to some of these numbers. There's hard costs, and the hard costs specifically, it would cost you to build a condo on the low end, $180 per square foot and 245 Canadian per square foot. If you had an 800 square foot condo, the building costs, the hard costs, labor, materials, would cost $144,000 to build. When we look at low rise, it's more. I mean, low rise builds between 240 Canadian to 465 per square foot Canadian. So if you were building a 2,000 square foot house, it costs you $480,000. But here's the kicker. What makes it so expensive is not the hard cost. It's something called the soft costs plus the profit from the builders. But we're going to look specifically at the soft costs, things like architecture, legal, planning expenses. They all fall into this category. And Toronto's government charges is the biggest. Toronto has some of the steepest fees for building new homes. In 2018, fees ranged from 165000 per unit for high-rise condos and 206000 for single-family houses. Remember, that's not the cost of the house, but just fees and taxes. The most recent estimate for taxes and fees shows it's reaching nosebleed levels. A one-bedroom buyer in Toronto is estimated to pay $186,000 in taxes and fees alone. The recent adoption of this inclusionary zoning, the idea of you have to build other affordable housing as part of your build, actually increases that cost because the fees get bumped over to the people who are paying the price. But why? Why? Canadian cities like Toronto and Vancouver adopted high building fees in exchange for lower land transfer taxes, right? We have to pay these big taxes because we're revenues coming from the builder. That's the logic anyways, the builder's paying the price. But how do profit-driven organizations run? You pass it on to the ones who are making the purchases and existing homeowners stick buyers with the bill to in, when they're, in order to inflate their equity. So instead of saying you're going to pay for the transfer, we're going to add it in at the front, we're going to pass, we're going to defer it to those buyers, which comes at the, the cost of a higher purchase price for your home. It's going to affect the next group. It's going to get kind of deferred. Well, that's really politics at its finest, and it is ultimately going to screw, on the low end especially, first-time buyers. It screws everybody, but at least if you own a property, you got something to show for it. First-time home buyers, they don't, right? Right? What a backwards experiment that we find ourselves in, hiding tax behind builder fees and hoping it cures affordability because you can afford the transfer tax. Jeez, what could go wrong? Even the rats are waiting to get that vaccine. Are you crazy? They haven't even finished the human trials yet. <laughs> when we look at demand, one of the other aspects right now that's really obvious is investors. Investors are investing like never before. John Pasalis had a Twitter post. 2021 was a good year for flippers. Out of the people who flipped a home during the second half of 2021, after buying it the year earlier, the average one-year appreciation was 34% or $302,000. Not a bad return for one year. And one in four homes are being bought, as we've seen in past articles, by investors. We don't have time to build houses for families. We're focused on building them for investors, foreign and local. Just like we do, don't have enough microchips right now to build cars, right? We're too busy using them in vaccines. <laughs> Simple supply and demand, baby. So when we look at supply, so that's the demand side, but we look at supply, these numbers are shocking, shocking. We have the lowest inventory ever. We have this article, Canada's biggest city has just 3,200 homes for sale in all-time low. That's what it's called. But it says, looking for a home in Canada's biggest city. Good luck with that, right? A region with over 6.5 million people has just 3,200 homes for sale in all-time low, according to Bloomberg. 
That's less than half the 7,900 on the market a year ago. We see the number of sales coming down significantly, and that's according to the Toronto Real Estate Board. But when we look at Toronto, active listings at the end of 2021 were less than 500. Isn't that crazy? That is nuts. And so, and that's for the city of 3 million people, 3 million people. And we got 500 listings available. Economists last year projected that the home sales in Canada would peak in 2021 and start to fall in 2022 and beyond. The question is for you is if not, if things won't change, so it says not if things don't change big time. That's my note, right? So this idea of we're going to see a projection of a drop in price, but how can you, when the market is so tight, forget demand, just look at supply. It is so freaking tight. When it comes to months of inventory in the 416, at the end of December, there is not a single housing type that is over 1% of months of inventory. Detach is at 0.7, semis at 0.4, row house at 0.6, condo apartments at 0.8, and condo townhouse at 0.7. There is no available inventory in any category of housing, and the 905 is bad too. It wasn't unique to the 416. Only three municipalities in Treb had months of inventory higher than one. That's York Region, King City where the average price is 2.4 million, by the way, Durham region, Brock. And then in, in Simcoe County, we got Ajla Tassarantio, and I'll never be able to pronounce that word, but y'all know what I'm talking about <laughs> up in Simcoe. But apart from those places, and you know, they're not high, but apart from those places, there's no place with a month of inventory above one month, which is absurd. And the most ridiculous ones are these Whitby, only 13 active listings at the end of December with 129 December sales. That's a 0.1 months of inventory. Sales is 10 times more than the number of active listings. Orangeville, only four active listings at the end of December, four in the whole damn city. That's 0.14 months of inventory. And Brampton, 106 active listings and 632 December sales. That's a 0.17 months of inventory. Things are turning over quickly in these areas, even worse than average. Clearly our issue is supply and demand, right? For affordable homes. So here's my thinking. We've got this discussion on long-term supply issues, you know, building developers, bring these fees, these costs down, the soft costs, make it easier to bring homes to market, cut the red tape, right? And this is very much a conversation happening at the highest levels, but these take years and the issue is now. So when it comes to short term, I think supply shouldn't necessarily be the amount of homes being built. Supply should be the availability of homes on the market, active listings. That's my thought. Increase that months of inventory and you, at least until we can address the long-term supply issues, you at least curb the massive inflation and housing prices. Well, the solution would be to make the process of buying easier, aka supply in the market. People are scared though to sell without buying right now, which looks like a giant GTA wide game of chicken. <laughs> you go first. No, I go first. No, you go first. Whoever goes first loses. Nobody's going anywhere. Everyone is staying put, which leads us to this week's bad idea. We seem to have one at least every other week. Well, we're going to talk from a cbc.ca article, a group, this group says that there is a quote, modest tax could raise 5 billion. That's modest. A year, a year, 5 billion a year. We would love that. We're going to talk about where that's going to be spent. But the idea would be to tax those homes that have over a million dollars. Everyone's entitled to their own opinion. This one just isn't a good one. Just like vaccine, you know, we need to respect the ability to choose. <laughs> and I mean, let's face it though. Like when vaccine though, they do have a valid argument. I mean, did you know that 99% of people who took the vaccine for the 1918 Spanish flu have since died? Jeez, be careful out there. But moving on, let's make the $1 million homes more expensive and therefore incentivize people to buy the lower end homes and make those more expensive too. 
right? Why do we need another idea though? I mean, you got Treb, you got the Ontario Real Estate Association shutting down at every turn. Ideas like vacant home flippers taxes, foreign investors, and end of blind bidding wars. All of these things getting absolutely pummeled the moment that they're talked about. And this one is more or less the same. But this idea comes out of Vancouver. It's a, a think tank funded actually by CMHC, believe it or not, where they call it Generation Squeeze. The group is pitching a progressive tax that would kick in on homes valued at more than a million dollars and get progressively larger on homes at three million and above. Everything above the million kind of has this extra tax. Though the tax would be calculated annually, we want to defer that. So we're only going to make it payable when you eventually sell. For those taking notes, that's a motivation not to sell. Is exactly what we need right now. 90% of Canadians wouldn't pay a single penny to the tax since it would only apply to those at the top of the real estate ladder. Those who, you know, have all of this extra money, the, the entitled few, which we are in Toronto, that 10%, by the way. So here's a proposal. It starts, the tax starts at 0.2% on homes valued over a million, every dollar above that. And it slides all the way to more than 1% worth on those that are more than 3 million. Only the portion of homes beyond the threshold of a million have that applied. So it's kind of like this, similar to income tax, it's kind of this sliding scale that adds from that point on. Now the benefit that they say is it estimates it would bring in roughly 5 billion a year and the funds could be used to support purpose-built rentals, great, and other incentives designed to discourage speculation. So for those taking notes, <laughs> the tax could be used to think of other ways to tax you. <laughs> Sounds like a good use of dollars, right? If you have $1.2 million home, they're talking an extra $400 a month or a year, sorry, and you wouldn't need to pay until you sell. That's That means it's easier, right? And then you got $2 million a year. If you make $2 million a year, that would be a tax annually of $3,500 a year. No big deal. Not a big deal. They asked a few people, Ryerson University professor Murtaza Hader, and Hader says, it's one of those measures that we call demand-busting measures. We're so focused on dealing with demand. And the question is, is, do you think we should hurt demand via taxes or should we increase supply via incentives? I'll leave that with you. You can comment that down below. But Jason Mercer, chief market analyst at Toronto Real Estate Board, says history has shown demand-side policies such as additional taxation on principal residences, foreign buyers, and small-scale investors have not been sustainable long-term solutions to housing affordability or supply constraints. The only sustainable way to moderate price growth will be to bring on more supply. That's kind of an easy thing to say when we're so quick to say, let's give incentives or help people with buying first-time homebuyer tax credits and stuff, you know, fueling demand, but for select groups. All of those things ultimately have pushed prices up, but they don't stand on that. That's a position that I stand on. But we also have Jane Launderville, who taught for years at University of Guelph about real estate finance, retired in 2018. Imagine a theoretical empty nester considering selling their home once their children have grown up and moved out. When faced with this new five-figure tax bill, that person might say, I'll just stay in the house. It's got four bedrooms in it, even though I'm living here by myself. Is that not going to tie up and reduce supply, this attack on demand and supporting, you know, the construction of purpose-built rentals and coming up with more ideas on how to tax the rich further. All we're ultimately doing is boosting the price by continuing to put downward pressure on that month's of inventory. But this proposal probably won't go through. I think that's an important point. In the statement from the Canadian press this week, the government made it clear it still has no appetite for any new tax on owners, despite funding it through the CMHC. The federal government has clearly stated several times that it will not be introducing a tax on the equity of primary residences in Canada, the government said. 
taxing expensive real estate will just drive more demand to cheaper housing. That's the big point that I want to get across from to you guys, which would be great news for Toronto condo owners, but it'd be bad news for first-time home buyers. Those that have properties below a million are going to do great. It's, ultimately, we're shooting up the next generation in a small, which is a small price we look at, a small price to pay, right? But man, it feels so good giving vaccines to five-year-olds. Shoot them up, baby. <laughs> and other good news for 416 condo owners as we look at the market, the price gap between detached semi and row house has eased a bit for condos. So we're starting to see that spread coming down a bit, which is good news. If you own a condo, you're starting to pull ahead, as it were. And we're expecting the next few months might very well look the same. At some point, you're going to see this drive to the low-end market, which scenarios like this are absolutely doing that. With ideas like this, the ones that were just proposed and some of the ones we mentioned as well before, 2022 would see could see, quote, a remaining affordable homes become very much unaffordable. That could be that what we're known for in 2022. Where it hasn't already maybe happened, we're going to see just an absolute cleanup of affordability in our market. So how do we get supply up? I saw this very interesting and exciting idea from BlogTO. We've talked about it in the past, but I think it's a very good option as they're talking about it right now in the news as well. It says, this is what homes in Toronto could look like in the future. So a company called Smart Density came up with a conceptual idea of what's called a mini mid-rise, which is a six-story building on a single lot with 10 residential units and a retail or commercial unit on the ground floor. And this would happen, this kind of addresses this missing middle framework, but it would happen on main streets. That's the idea. We're talking young, college, Dundas, or Bloor. The building's design, the concept is that you'd have this very narrow looking building and six stories because that's what you're allowed up already in Toronto. The concept design, while narrow, is also deep, allowing for two or three bedroom units at about 750 to 1,000 square feet. So we're converting it into multiple units, multiple spaces. Now, there's certain issues that need to be ironed out specifically land is expensive the concept didn't include parking which for some people would view that as a drawback and while they thought the idea might appeal to small mom and pop because you can convert your your smaller unit yourself into something a little bit more usable a space it's definitely drawn attention from the larger developers they're the ones that seem to be most paying attention to this but here's my thinking guys this is for sure going to happen i think this is Writing's on the wall for this. There's already an appetite for it when it comes to the Toronto, city of Toronto. And I see this being very much a solution, a quick turnaround of using land in the downtown core and in some of these main streets and quickly and efficiently converting it into more idea or more units. But here's some other ideas. Laneway housing. We're seeing a lot of value there, a lot of opportunities for investors there as well. We're going to talk about some of those with our guests this week. You're not going to want to miss that episode. I'll talk about that in a second. But also this idea of garden suites, which is now allowed where you don't have to have a laneway. You can just add a unit and it just becomes part of that parcel of land, but you're creating additional housing. Great ideas. Also, investors own one in five properties. How about we incentivize them to sell? Could we maybe minimize or reduce capital gains if they are able to bring housing to market? Maybe a, not such a widely accepted idea, but something that could work. It could very much work. We try to, you know, that with investors taking over the market, maybe we incentivize them to give it back. But instead of holding granny hostage at her house saying, if you sell, I'm going to hit you with another tax. Maybe instead we incentivize her, convert that unit into three, four other condos and sell them off piece by piece. Would that not allow us to create more housing? It gets granny uh, happy about being able to move out of her house. But what ideas do you guys have? You can leave those down below. 
I mentioned we're going to have a very exciting guest interview this week. We absolutely are. Our guest is an amazing show, one of our best shows, I believe, and I'm excited to have him on for future episodes as well. There's no reason not to continue to have these types of conversations, but we talk about how to buy properties for pennies on the dollar in Ontario. You don't want to miss it. And laneway housing, just as a fun fact, that's part of our discussion, but it's definitely not the best part of our discussion. It gets very, very exciting. And if you want to take your investing to the next level, don't forget to check out our coaching program. Please consider joining us, the 90 Day Landlord, an opportunity for you to scale your portfolio. And if not, if nothing else, please leave a five-star review and rating on our iTunes. I really appreciate it. In the meantime, I'm excited tomorrow, get my booster shot. Let's all get boosted and protect those most vulnerable around us. I'm expecting the booster will be just like the last two jabs that I had, right? Feeling tired, unable to get out of bed, but... As a parent of two kids, two young kids, that's pretty much no side effect at all. I'll see you guys next time. Take care and keep it real.